Welcome to Punchboard Paradise, coming to you from the heartland of America in Omaha, Nebraska, where we discuss the world of tabletop gaming, the topics that affect the board game community, and give honest and fair reviews of the industry's hottest games. In episode 51, the Punchboarders talk about some recent plays and then review the molten hotness of Maracaibo. Hey, everybody, I'm Clef. Hey, I'm Chad. And I'm Richie. And this is Dan. Whoa, what? 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 Back. What? Number two. We, who let him back in here? I never <laughs> left. No, he's right I was in the back two. room the whole time, just waiting. I actually believe that. <laughs> he just hides me. <laughs> well, my family does consider him to just be part of the family. They don't even, he just comes in that's, now. That's how I work around here. I just <laughs> hang out until people just say, well, I guess Dan's here. So <laughs> He brings guess, hamburger pizza with him. Yeah. Every time. That's Every time. Pretty much. <laughs> no, I only eat pizza when I play board games. That's the only time? Well, but I play board games like five times a week. So there we go. (laughs) I'm basically walking around with Gloomhaven on my belt. You can just imagine that right now. (laughs) This is a a picture I can actually envision. Uh, You got in trouble this past week. Big trouble. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I call it trouble, but I stirred up a little bit of controversy. <laughs> maybe. You did. Your your top fifty was was topic on the guild. Well, and I guess I, if I can, I'd like to talk about this real quick because certainly our, our very good friend Ben Maddox, he kind of called me out a little bit and said, "I don't understand why filler games. You know, they're just as good as big box games." you know, uh, Skull King or No Thanks or any of these great games, how they cannot be part of your top, you know, top top 50, you know, not just necessarily just me, but, you know, just in general. So I guess I, I kind of want to respond to that because for me, we kind of talked about this on last episode, but I don't feel like I said exactly what I wanted to. And really what it is, is when I think about sitting down for a game night, I think about what game would I want to sit down and play? And that is going for me, always going to be a big box heavy type of game. I don't ever call up people and say, hey, let's go meet for Skull King. Not that there's anything wrong with Skull King, but when I did my top 50, I think that's how I thought of it is what game would I want to come to a game day or what game do I want to play? Irregardless of time is what my thought process is. And I'm always going to want to play you know, the big boys, you know, of Great Western, Wildcatters, and all these games before I'm ever going to sit down and say, I want to play Skull King. Not that there's anything wrong with Skull King. I love it. It just is not going to be one of my top 50 games of all time that I am going to want to play. Well, but this year, you're, you're wrong. First of all, but I mean, we'll, we'll allow it, but he's wrong, right? Well, Ben Maddox has a point. What I'll say is that I would say for you, knowing you, within a night of all these big box games that you're playing, sometimes you'll come back to me and what will you talk about? Not those big box games, but a particular play of Skull King that was crazy. His deck of Skull King is absolutely disgusting. Really? I won't even play anymore. It's terrible. But just because I play a game a lot doesn't mean it has to be in my top 50, does it? It That's exactly what a top 50 is. (laughs) Listen, if you want to make a top 50 and you want to make the disclaimer, no filler games, that's fine. But if you're making your definitive top 50, it should include those games that you think are 
of that caliber. And if you think Skull King is that good, if you think No Thanks or Decrypto or Codenames or whatever it is, the size or weight of the game should have no bearing. And it doesn't. The, the bearing comes down to what game do I want to play? And if you brought me over the game table right now, I am going to name 50 other games before I name Skull King if time is not an issue. Now, Skull King was your number 10 last year. So you're saying when you did your, your little note cards, uh-huh. was Skull King even on a note card? Yes, it was. Okay. And, and just, it just kept getting, and I just kept saying, you know what? You know, I, and, and maybe it's because I have, um, I have obviously played it a lot, but I, it just every time I put it up against a game, and I was like, okay, would I rather play Skull King or Santa Maria? I'd rather play Santa Maria. Would I rather play it or, you know, uh, Crystal Palace? I'd rather play Crystal Palace. That's how I came down to my decision. Nothing wrong with Skull King, and anybody who wants to put, Skull King in their top 10 or monikers or Decrypto or Codenames or any of those games, more power to them. And I totally agree with them. Just for me, that's how I did my list. See, I think you're getting in trouble because you are, you keep saying that, like, it makes it sounds like he just, no fillers were on cards, period. Even though I would, I would argue the Estates is a filler game. Right. I okay. totally agree all with right, you there. All right. I, I, I understand most what people, you're saying, but most saying, people, including but still, Heavy Cardboard, would argue the same. Right. Uh, okay. And I, okay. Then that's fine. But still, when I came to the estates in another game, I said, okay, well, I'd rather play the estates. Yeah. So that's why. Okay. I would also like to point out that even tonight, before Chad got here, Clef came to us and he's like, hey, real quick, would you like to pick a, play a quick filler game of Great Western Trail? <laughs> hey, we, we so got what it do you done have to say for 45 that? minutes. I that think. was a filler. <laughs> well, Richie and I probably got that done in what? It was 45 under, minutes. Probably right? under 45 yeah, minutes. Yeah, it's a filler game. Minutes. It's a filler. Uh, there, there's, all right. Well, I will say too, uh, what what was your number 50, Cleft? Uh, it was def- definitely a board game. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't remember. Well, here, let's okay. just say Crystal Palace was on there. I will say definitively that I think that I think that high society, for example, which was what Ben was talking about, is probably a better game overall than Crystal Palace. That's that's again, that's my opinion. But I, I will say that I think that. Well, but we're not talking about what's a better game. We're talking about what is your top 50 favorite games that you want to play. And while I enjoy high society. I would rather play a game of Crystal Palace over High Society. Nothing wrong with High Society. Great game. Wonderful. Kinesia is a master. I quite enjoy Raw, but I'd rather play those other games before I'd rather sit down and play Raw. Which I think that's fine. With me, with with my list, all I did was I took everything that I had rated on BGG 8 and above and threw it into Pub Meeple and then just rate it. Stick Elm's the only one that made it into the top 50. Like, I have no problem with fillers being on a top 50. Sure, and I don't either. It's your decision, and it's your list, and that's why, you know, they're different. But I think the real thing that we need to say here is, if you would like to weigh in on this, why don't you come to our guild? Why don't you tell me how wrong I am? Go to guild 3227. Um, It's under the top 10 discussion is where it's at right now. If somebody wants to start a new thread and, you know, this be a discussion, I'm more than willing to, you know, I'll take some lumps for it. And if you are interested, we have had a great, fantastic listener create a micro badge for Punchboard Paradise, and it's on our, our Geek Guild page. So you can use your Geek Gold and get some. Okay, so now that we're done with this filler, let's let's talk about something fun. You two sat home this past weekend and did what? 
I played. Just talking to Richie and Chad here. Played Pax Pamir. So okay, with your wife and okay. lost. Okay, and you what? I was in a hospital room for all of it, pretty much the whole weekend. Yeah. All right. Your excuse is good, Chad. All right. (laughs) But Dan and I, what did we do this weekend, buddy? Well, we played board games. Uh, Duh. (laughs) But we changed where we played the board games. Does that count? (laughs) I think it does. (laughs) We went to Lincoln, Nebraska. Am I hearing crickets? Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't even think Chad and Richie are listening anymore. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, we went to a local convention, the Great Plains Game Fest in Lincoln, Nebraska. Technically, weren't you in Waverly? Technically, we were in Waverly. Um, yes. But, well, uh, the, the good news is most of our, especially our non-local listeners, don't know where Lincoln is or yeah. Waverly, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> there, was, no, it does we, matter. there was corn surrounding <laughs> us, so that no doesn't way. really narrow it down either. But. How much time did you spend getting breakfast? That's what I want to know. Uh, well, way too much. Way too much. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you, I am very intimately known with uh, all of Lincoln byways and side roads and all that stuff. We, we found some good places, though. Uh, boy, that place we ate at the second day, their French toast was amazing. Stauffer, 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 Stauffer's dynasty, whatever that was. Yeah. (laughs) Fantastic. Fantastic. (laughs) It was good. So yeah, we were at Great Plains Game Festival, a really good con. They did a really nice job. It was. Um, The president, uh, Cameron, is a old friend of mine, actually used to be a roommate of mine back in, uh, I don't want to say how many years ago, but uh, (laughs) yeah, long time ago. And and you, uh, you had a friend that helps run that too. Yeah, Nate Welch, yeah. Uh, fellow postman. Uh, yeah. We we are in a group, apparently. Actually, we are. We have a union. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, he helps run that as well. He's been doing yeah. that for quite a few years as well. Um, and so he is one of the listeners for our show across the board. And uh, so it's I don't get to see him as often. He wasn't able to make it out to our last convention. So sure. it's nice. As close as Lincoln is, it's weird how we don't actually get to go there as often and see a lot of our what we call close listeners. Yeah. Uh, so it was nice to have that opportunity to do that. Yeah, it was. And ooh, I'll tell you, for me, nice con, but I got in some good gameplays. Listen to this. I got in seven of my top 10 games Oof. during that time period. I would like that, to caveat, really though. I would like to caveat that. How many of those did you win? Um, a lot. Let's uh, just not talk about Great Western Trail, okay, right? Okay. Or Brass. So, oh yeah. And we Wildcatters is uh, undetermined. Well, well, he never wins at Wildcatters. I yeah. put no. Well, I put myself down as a winner because you did. I, yes. Well, because everybody else did, so I decided to put. So I'll tell this story real quick because obviously everybody's like, "What the heck's going on?" So it's Friday night, and it's two o'clock in the morning, and we have finally finished Wildcatters, and we're doing a little bit of rushing at the very last. And the people for the convention are coming up to us and saying, we got to go. They've got to lock the doors. You guys have to be done. And so we're trying to score this game as fast as possible. And in Wildcatters, you score everything at the end of the game. So we're going, and we're moving the pieces, and we're moving, and we're moving, and we're moving. And as we're doing it, everybody's starting to grab the pieces, trying to you know clean up. And all of a sudden, it was the very last area we were scoring, and I went up, and I had already moved the other person's piece, and I went up to move my piece, and I was like, okay, I think I might have won it. I'm really close. And I go up to move my piece, and somebody had grabbed my my score piece off the board and put it away. <laughs> and I had no idea where I was for I'm sure. I'm not convinced. And, not convinced. But <laughs> both Joes said I was the winner, so uh, I'm taking it, and mm, that's, that's all there is to it. It's questionable. It, no, but... Just to kind of echo what you said about the convention, it was great. This is my third or maybe fourth year of going in a row. And unfortunately, they've 
continued to change the venue every year. Um, however, this one has been a drastic improvement. This was at uh, a large convention center in Lincoln. Uh, I would assume where they'd have like their big, big convention. So it was a mm-hmm. giant room. Yeah. Uh, plenty of space. It was. It, there was a lot of people there on Saturday, but I never had a space issue. I never was worried about you know bumping right. into people, but it still felt really, really full. They had a yeah. huge game library. I know with you, Clef, and I, that's never an issue because we only play our own games. Sure. But, but the- I mean, the, the library was great. They had a huge play-to-win section. Um, tons of vendors there. 3D bit space was there. I mean, it was just, it was an awesome place to be. I was really, really impressed. I got to play tons of great games too. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was amazing. And then the other great thing is, is I got to play um, with some of our, as we talked about, some of our listeners in Lincoln that I don't have an opportunity to play with as much. I got to play Madeira with Tony and then Nathan Fort and his wife, Melissa Fort. I got to teach them Madeira. Game took a little bit of time, but you know, when you're teaching three new people Madeira, that's Yeah, the that's first play happen. that's going to go long. Just and, a lot that you have to take in. Yeah. And both, uh, all three of them really enjoyed the game. So that was awesome. They both had kickstarted the new copy that's coming in. So they're happy that, you know, that they liked it. I got to teach the great Zimbabwe to Michael Dryad and his girlfriend, Melissa, and we got to so we got to play Great Zimbabwe, which is amazing and always lots of fun. And that was really cool to get to play a game with him. And I'm hoping soon we're probably hopefully going to get an 18xx game in with him here soon. So that was awesome. Not only getting to play lots of great games, but getting to play with some you know not as local of listeners as usual. You know, I had to drive a whole 45 minutes to play with him. Yeah, I mean, I would just <laughs> I would just say in conclusion. I mean, you always hear about this on podcasts and when people talk about the micro conventions or the local conventions. Um, And I just want to echo that sentiment that they're great because they're smaller. You're able to kind of make it more gamer centric and not really have to worry about, you know, big vendors or overpopulation. It's just a fun place to go to feel like you're having a little bit of a getaway. I mean, it felt like a vacation for us, but we had fun. We went out to some new restaurants, you know, for breakfast and dinner. I mean, it's just, it's fun to get out and do that. So if you have the opportunity anywhere close by, whether it be an hour, two or three hours, I highly recommend it. Um, you want to, I, I think you should tell your Friday night story. I don't, I don't know if I should tell that. I don't really want to throw some people under the bus. Should I? I think you should tell. I think you should tell this story because it's <laughs> okay. really funny. <laughs> All right. Well, real quick. So, so as we said, it's really close to where we live. It's about 45 minutes, maybe an hour with traffic to get to and from Omaha, Nebraska to Lincoln, Nebraska, where the convention was being held. And for the first two nights, I didn't want to commute back and forth. I knew I was going to be gaming late. And I thought, man, if there was a way I could stay in Lincoln that would be more ideal. I could stay up to like one or two o'clock, go and crash in a hotel or something, wake up and be early and I wouldn't have to drive back and forth. Well, I had a great friend, John Frazier. Well, he used to be a great friend. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so I I actually went out and I hung with him the night before him and his wife and we played some games at his house. We had a lot of fun. So that way we were able to get to the convention early on Friday. Well, that night he kind of petered out early and was like, well, hey, I'm, I'm going back to my house. And I said, is it cool if I stay here? You know, and he's like, yeah, that's fine. And I said, well, it's okay if I sleep at your house and crash there at night. And he's like, sure, sure. So he gave me the address and he left. And so I finished playing. I was probably there for like another hour and a half, two hours. And I was like, all right, well, the convention was wrapping up. And I was like, well, I'm going to head over to John's. 
he unfortunately lives on the way other side of town. So I'm driving through town. It's like 1.30, 1.45 in the morning. I get out to his house. He lives way out in the suburbs. There's no traffic. It's dead silent. I think I hear a coyote out in the distance. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. So I get up to the door and I go up to open the screen door and screen door's locked, of course. So I'm like, well, maybe you know, I'm just not able to open a screen door. I haven't done that in my life before, right? No, everyone's done it. So I'm yanking on it a little harder and I'm just you know, back and forth. And of course, it's not opening. So uh, the first thing I do is I text John, my friend, and I said, you know, hey, John, I'm outside. The door's locked and no response. So I wait five <laughs> minutes. Uh, apparently, the temperature's dropping. It's like freezing outside. <laughs> I'm holding like 40 games because we always bring games to conventions that we don't need. So I'm balancing these and I text him again. I call him. He's got one of those fancy ring doorbells. So I'm ringing that and I hear Ooh, the doom, doom. Dun, dun, dun. I'm like, how can you not hear that? The neighbors' are, lights are turning on saying, what's going on across They the have a new baby too, don't they? They have a new baby. You'd think they'd be light sleepers. No, they're snoring upstairs. So I get pissed off and I say, well, screw it. I'm driving back to Omaha. So I drive 20 minutes back to the convention and then 45 minutes back to Omaha. And I'm so pissed off that I get to bed at about 3.30, 3.45 and I text Clef and say, Clef, uh, should I pick you up in about three hours and we can head back in the morning? And we did. We carpooled back. It was just a silly story, but uh, the things we do for gaming. Uh, it was a pretty funny story. Hey, he he did buy me he breakfast. He bought you breakfast in the he morning. He bought me breakfast the next day, so it made it a little better. And but. buying damn breakfast, that's no easy feat. Uh, John gave him a cap of $30, and I'm pretty sure he spent <laughs> 2975 I, I added it up. $29.75. That's impressive for breakfast food. No, but it, it, the whole convention was great. Just as I said, it's, it's a blast to go to these conventions to get away to actually make time to set all your you know stress of life aside and just do what we love to do hang out with friends and play board games uh it was great so i highly recommend it if you have the opportunity to do something similar so richie you said you got a game in of of pax ren uh premier sorry premier yeah. no uh and yeah i was jealous i saw a lot of pictures gabby was posting a lot of pictures in slack oh and yeah of all I the taught, games that i wanted to be I playing taught her city of the big shoulders and she loved it I won that game, by the way, just if you want to keep track of the record I'm here. I'm writing it down. Hold on. Okay. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, so, I, had, you, I guilted okay. the wife into playing PAX okay. uh, just because we had some family events that prevented me from going this year. But but I did also get in a play of LaGranja with Clef over oh, here. Yeah. And Josh. Oh, that's good. right. That's good. And right. I, it, it's back in the collection. Today, I just traded right. it back into the collection. The first play, I looked up the first play. The first play was, was me with, and you. Yeah, me and you back in at PretzCon. Yep. We scored like 20 and 24 points. Ooh. And I remember. <laughs> yeah. Did you I remember, quit after two I was rounds? Say, did no, you I, like don't know what, I don't know what we were doing wrong because I didn't really like it the first time. And that's why I left the collection. I had bought new dice for it. I had the promo cards and everything. Uh, but yeah, after playing it again, and I'm glad I got to play it again all these years later. Uh, it is now back in the collection. It, it's jumped from a four. I had it rated as a four on uh, BGG, and I upped it up to an eight. Yeah, so okay. it's a good game. It, it's come. It's come full circle for me. So, but, so we're going to start a new segment called "Games That Richie Traded Away." And then re-gets to his collection. I think it's a good. draft, actually. <laughs> what game did you get rid of and then reacquire? Yeah, that could be a draft. So we might yeah. do that. I got a few. Yeah. So yeah. You might that. have more than, than, than we do, but we'll <laughs> I see. Say, I don't know how long this draft will last. <laughs> we'll see. I draft two games we'll apiece. So, <laughs> but you saw the beauty and how good LeGron Ha is. It's such a great I game. did. And then 
basically, like three days later, uh, Yakata launched the digital version of it as well. Right. Really yeah. So started up a few games with some of the uh, people in Slack. I, I'm glad we got that back to the table. I'm glad you pushed for it for me to try it out again. Do I well, need to go back and look at other games that Chad taught you that maybe I need to reteach? You know what? <laughs> I have some choice words for you right now. <laughs> well, we're going back to Tramways. I don't think I need to go back to Dungeon Pets. Well, I, I tell you what. You know, know what? I If we play Tramways, I won't put any pictures online. I won't <laughs> yes, tag the designer. That's the first one. He that's won't, the first step. I promise that Albin won't heckle you. Uh, he might still. He might yeah, he somehow might, yeah. figure it out. We'll see. So I have played recently. I know that you guys have played it too. I've played The Magnificent recently. Also, I played a solo game of of Clinic, but I want to talk about that later after I've had more multiplayer games. So let's talk about The Magnificent because that's kind of an interesting game. It's from the designers of Santa Maria, which I know you guys are high on, you know, uh, Number 18. Yeah. Ostby, I think, is is one of them. Yeah. And uh, I cannot remember the other designer. I apologize. But it has that sort of carnival circus theme. And it has polyominoes that you're trying to put together a, kind of a circus thing on your board. But you're also drafting dice. And then if you get di- the same colors of dice, it is more valuable for you. But you have to pay more. So, of course, as most Euro games go, it is the most points wins. It was an interesting game. I, I thought personally that it was a lot of mechanism tied together that didn't really cohere as much as I would have liked them to. I don't know. Richie, what what did you think about The Magnificent? It it was a game for me. It's no Santa Maria, that's for sure. Definitely not Santa Maria. The play was enjoyable, but it seems like that would get samey quick. Uh, And I I only have the one play, so I don't know, because you've gotten a a few in, have you, Cliff? Just two. Just two. Okay, just two. Yeah. Yeah, The the whole... uh, is it your trailer that you're moving around that circle yeah, those circles, or would, something I like that? I would assume something like that, yeah. yeah. I mean, really, I mean, there's only three actions that you really you take. You either move your little trailer around and pick up gems. You place those tiles out on your, you know, your tent area. And then there's, you do these, uh, the shows or whatever. Right. And it's just a little light. I mean, there's not much to it. I right. Mean, it's, I like... It's a game. And the shows are mostly objectives, like have these yeah. polyominoes out on your board already or if, have these yeah, it, things if, fulfilled. I think if I'm going to play a game that you know feels similar thematic-wise, I think I would play Tricarion over this because I feel like, you know, I realize Tricarion is magic and this is like a carnival, but I still have the same, fee- like a theme-wise, I guess I would tell people, Tricarion's a much better game than what The Magnificent is. It's just a little too light on the scale for us, at least. I right, but I will say that, I would say that Tricarion, as you said, is heavier than The Magnificent, and it, it just feels like, The Magnificent feels like cobbled, well, in my opinion, feels like cobbled together mechanisms to kind of prop up this theme, whereas Tricarion feels like it can go long, like you guys have said, but it does feel like most of the stuff is in support of a theme. It can get brain-burny, yeah. but most of the stuff feels like it's meant to go together. Now, some of it is a little bit awkward, like we've talked about, the performing in in the... Um, the theater and how that mechanism works but overall it feels like those mechanisms meld together in support of the theme a little bit better than the magnificent yeah this seems more just like a carnival circus setting than anything else pasted on for sure i think too you know i've talked with a lot of people about this now we're at a point to where 
when a game comes out, it has to really impress me to get repeated plays. And it's not a slight to a game, but it's just there are so many good games on my shelf. There are so many good games that are coming out that I don't have time to play repeated plays of okay games. Yep. I just my time yep. is more valuable. And that's where we're at. I think if you listen to the recent Ludology episode with Stephen Bonacore on it, that's where we're at. I wouldn't even say okay games. I'd say good games and then above that is is the great ones, right? So there are so many good games that they're glutting the market and there are those great ones that we want to have in our collection. We just don't have space, money, or time for the good ones to secede the great ones. Yeah. I mean, pretty much. I mean, the Magnificent is is really probably on the sell shelf right now, to tell you the truth. And yeah. it's not, once again, it's not that it's a bad game. It's just an okay game. Right. And there's just no room for okay games on yeah. the shelf. I went, I jokingly said that at ATBCon that basically fours and below can go. And uh, honestly, that that's what I've gone now. And I don't even know if I've updated this on the podcast, but I know my original goal was 100 games gone. I hit that in like three days. Now I've, I have upped that up to 200 games out of my collection by wow. the end of the year. Wow. But again, that's a response to the market. And I would highly suggest that anybody that is interested, listen to this Ludology episode, because they talk about the fact that if you, this is the way the market is going. This is the way that gamers are going. There's only so much time, so much space, and so much money that we have for these games. And if there are this many games coming out in a year, even the, the good ones are, are just not good enough. We have to pay attention to the great ones. So like you're saying, Richie, the fives and above, which is is hard on our scale. But and that's still a lot of games. Yeah. Like if you look at exactly. the full like 3,000 that get released every year. Yeah. So Which is why people should listen to our podcast and listen to what we say and only buy the games that we say are good. <laughs> no. But, so I was going to ask you, Chad. So, so what is your verdict then on The Magnificent? Is it worth you having repeated plays because you think it might be a good game? No, I would say, and I was probably, of the three of us, I was probably lower on it than these other two guys. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, I didn't have a problem with it, but I just said, oh, this, this feels kind of like cobbled together mechanisms to me. And there are other games that I'd rather play with these mechanisms that feel like they're more coherent. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's just in response to what we just talked about. If you think about this, when you play a game and you know, you know, okay? No, yeah. I, I'm serious, okay? The first time that I played a game that we're about to review in Maracaibo, I knew that's all there was to it. I knew it was going to be an amazing, I knew it was an amazing game and I knew it was going to be one of my favorites. Where the first time I played Magnificent, I was like, nothing really, it just didn't do anything. You know, it's like, a, okay, and and then you asked to play it, and I don't even know if I would have played it a second time if you had not asked me to teach it to you guys. But let's let's think about this for a minute, though, because what you say is, is interesting. We just talked, I think, whether it was the last episode or the episode before, a little bit of a turnaround with Root. And the first time you played that was a little bit different than the third or fourth time you played that. So that kind of changed things. So how would you reconcile that difference? That's a tough question for me to answer, Chad. I'll be quite honest with you. I, I, I'm i not sure. And I maybe when I first played Root, I think I would say it was more the fact that it just was not my style of game. I could still see, and, I, and if you go back and list our review, I, I say repeatedly, this is a good game for people who like this game. I mean, Richie loves it. Dan adores this game. I understand why 
it's a good, you know, I understand. And I understand why people like it. Similar to why I, I know why people love Dungeons and Dragons role-playing games. Just because I don't like them, I see what is there. So when brought up with the opportunity to play Root again, and it's certainly not by my choice, I'm certainly being my arm twisted a little bit, I still look to say, okay, was there something I'm missing? Because it's one of the most popular games out there right now. So I feel like, okay, what am I, you know, what am I doing wrong? Or what am, is there something that I'm missing? You know, where I know for a fact I'm not missing anything in Black Angel and most people are, you know, no, this game's not any good. Where So there maybe is a little bit more of, and this is where I'm trying, you know, I am not going to just flat out say, I'm not going to give another game another chance just simply because I think it's a terrible game. I am going to try to, I'm going to try. But with The Magnificent, I don't think that would, is necessary because I don't think people are going to, in a year, even be talking about the game. Where Root is a game that's going to be talked about for a long time. That's a fair assessment. I understand. Okay. So, hey, we uh, we had an episode of the top 50 and we put our top 10s up on the guild. Uh, you guys don't look like you want to talk about this part, but I'm pretty excited about it. I mean, it. I'll talk about it more than Chad will talk about yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. You will talk <laughs> yeah, a little bit more only than Chad. 3% more. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so our new thing is we tell the people what the final vote was or the percentages of our poll. Chad, you, sir, finished with 23%. Strong. It's good. We finished better than we started. That that's true. Sure. That's you true. Did. I did start off strong, and yes, but he was yeah. calling people at first. Yeah, <laughs> Richie ended with all thirty percent. So very good job there, sir. And uh, I ended uh, with forty-seven percent. I think that makes me the winner. He was doing all these fancy things with his top ten. I fancy know, things. Skull King should have been number yeah, ten. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> well, I could have just put lump brasses together, and then <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. I would like to point out that they didn't oh. get a chance to vote on my top ten. So does oh. that does that matter at all? Oh, I mean, I know I'm not an official member, really, of any podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. this is true. Uh, I hate to tell you, buddy, but I don't know if you have another one. But. Well, I'm, no, I'm just you know listening to you guys do your top fifty. Obviously, oh. is a lot of fun. I think yeah. most people love top lists and it really inspired me to kind of revamp my list uh if you guys like i can give you my top 10 real quick let's hear it yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> what do you got buddy all right so i will just put a caveat out there that there is a lot of group think uh obviously i play a lot of the same games with a lot of the same people so don't get overly overwhelmed when you hear some of these uh but i'll just go from number 10 shakespeare Obviously, with Backstage, I think that that's just one of the greatest games. I know you don't like the theme because there is no theme, Chad. But <laughs> I love the theme. I just don't think there was great service to the theme. In that. I but think that there right. is just enough theme to complement the amazing mechanisms in that game that just, to me, set it apart. Well, someday we will have a monologue off and we'll see. I love it. Uh, number nine is Brass Lancashire. Okay. Now, I did split mine up. So I'm specifically okay. putting okay. that one there. Okay. And I have been going back and forth on those. It really just depends on the flavor of the week. But I sure. put that one as number nine. Uh, number eight, my former number one a long time ago, Lagranha. I still feel like this is one of the most mechanically sound games. It is perfectly balanced. I think everything the way you do, obviously, there's luck in card draw uh, and dice rolling. But I just think that game is so well balanced that I just every single game I play of that, I'm just astounded and fall more and deeply in love with it. Uh, number seven, a new hit to my top 10, Cooper Island. Wow. Ooh. Yeah, I like this. I now, like this. Cooper 10. Island, this is such a brain burner, and we've all have obviously had a chance to experience this, and this one, it hurts my brain, but in just the right way. 
And you talk about balance. That's the same. Well, one of the same designers, Ode or Andreas Odendahl, yeah. uh, who designed La Granja or one of the co-designers. Yep. And yeah, he did the same thing. I feel like with Cooper, Cooper's Island, there are lots of, of, of paths to victory and they're all balanced. Absolutely. I absolutely love it. And so, yeah, absolutely put that one. Uh, Number six is the other brass, brass Birmingham. And as I said, those are kind of interchangeable, but I do think I like Birmingham slightly more, at least right now. I like the added crunch of that, but really pick a day of the week. It could be either one of the others. Uh, Then number five is terraforming Mars. Now that was my original number one that has dropped. Um, it's such a minor drop though. I love when we talk sure. about how it drops four spots, but, um, they continue to add expansions. I know that there is everybody here. You guys can't listeners. You can't see it, but they're all grumbling at me right now. Giving me the old stink eye. No, oh, I just fell asleep for a little bit. That's all. Yeah. You know, whatever. but I mean, this game, it is the ultimate tableau builder. It's the ultimate card playing game. It just gets bigger and more gaudy every time they add an expansion. And I love it every time they do it. So to me, it's still one of my absolute favorite tableau builder games. Uh, going into number four, A Feast for Odin. Nice. More more grumbles, but Ugh. less grumbles. Oh, no. <laughs> I'll take it. I, I can see that. They have been, or at least uh, Uva has been like re-molding uh, this game. First, he did the new uh, maps that you could add to it. This is a tiny little thing. And then they did this big expansion called the Norwegians. It refined a lot of the action spaces, made it more balanced. Still kind of a big game. Obviously, if you're not into that, where you have a million options, the Caverna style, it's probably not going to be for you. I think that this this reminds me of Caverna, but harder. It's a little bit more cutthroat. There's a little bit more back and forth where I can cut you off. Whereas in Caverna, it's more lighthearted. And I just still love it. I have been seeing uh, just past Essen, they released a new minor expansion. Uh, If you recall, there's a harvest where it gives you tiles every certain round. This just randomizes that. So it gives you just a little bit more variability. There's still a million cards that I haven't seen in this game. There's still a million strategies I haven't perfected. Uh, I I love going back to this because it's just a choose your own adventure that to me has infinite replayability. So I absolutely love it. Uh, Number three, Great Western Trail. Mm. Now, this has been a perpetual game really since it came out. And obviously, this is no shock because I play this game with Clef all the time. Uh, it hasn't gotten as much love in the past until recently. Again, I keep saying this, but new stuff has been brought into it. We just encountered these new promo tiles, which uh, what they do is they effectively make the builder strategy, which if you're not familiar, there was a strategy in the game where you could purchase these craftsmen. And all you could do with that is you could build buildings. Well, we always felt that that was the weakest of the strategies. Well, of course, these new promos came along that completely flipped that on its head. In fact, just at Great Plains Game Fest, we played with these new promo tiles. And and how did that game go, Clef? I don't want to talk about that. (laughs) I built every single one of my buildings. I purchased one new cattle and I beat Clef. That's good. I've heard that if you're really experienced in the building strategy, you can win every time. <laughs> <laughs> it was a blast. I still love the game. I, th- I think that as we'll find out later, this rewards strategy. If you can stay focused in Great Western Trail and not get turned away by bright lights or shiny things and just keep focus, you can really, really succeed. And I think that's one of the one of Clef's skills when he plays that game is he's able to stay focused and just kind of see that end result. Uh, however, not recently. Yeah. 
Uh, what's your number two? <laughs> my number two <laughs> is also a new hit to my top ten. This was not there last year, and it is Maracaibo. What yeah, the heck, number eight. two? I know. Well, and we got to review this, fellas. You guys keep giving spoilers. We really spoilers. do, and we'll, we'll talk about that later. But that obviously <laughs> leaves Root as my number one. I have not had a bad play of Root. In fact, every single play, I have been, you know, awoken to a new strategy, a new type of gameplay. They keep adding factions. I just played with the new Underground Duchy, where they had the the Corvid conspiracy crows and the Underground Duchy, the moles. Cole Worley does such a good job of making sure that each faction feels unique while still having its, you know, holes where it can be defeated. It's kind of like a rock, paper, scissors with all the other factions. Um, I, I enjoy kind of hamming it up when I play this game. I love, you know, playing the Corvid conspiracy who's putting out these plot tokens and confusing people and trying to trick them or playing the underground duchy and, you know, trying to be diplomatic and then all of a sudden digging up underneath them. And it's just to me, it is the perfect game. I think that they could just add expansions to this forever. I do remember in the most previous Kickstarter, uh, one of the questions in the FAQ was, hey, can we get a uh, big box for all of the components? The box doesn't hold everything anymore. And the answer was simply this. We'll release a big box when we're done with the game. Oh, nice. So you know more is coming. Yeah. So I absolutely love it. You know, as I've always said, my top 10 is very fluid day of the week month of the year whatever game i'm playing it definitely goes up and down but those 10 games if i had those 10 games and no other games for the rest of my life i'd be a happy man i think you should put my list on there and see who we get some votes what do you say no <laughs> <All right. laughs> thanks for sharing though yeah <laughs> So I did ask our Punch Punch to give us their top 10, and then I said I'd go through and figure out exactly what our Punch Bunch top 10 would be, and basically I just gave 10 points to all number ones and nine points to number twos and so on and so on, and added it up, and I've got a, I got a top 10. Another right. top or, 10. Or a top 11. Whichever way it's you know, a top ten. Oh no! Well, is this is this going to be a controversy thing? Well, well it's is probably going to be Clef's in Clef's favor if we do the top eleven. No, 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 no. No, there's what a game I'm that should be combined is, on there. I'm yes, I'm, I'm the brass situation. The brass situation. So we'll we'll give it that. But most people who put down their votes specifically put down their votes either Birmingham or Lancashire. I put it that way. If they just put down brass, then I just gave it to both of them. But so just as fair as I possibly could be. So are you guys ready? Let's do it. So Let's hear I'll it. start with number 11. Okay. So number 11 or 10, because I split them up, is one that I was a little bit surprised. PAX Premier Second Edition. I'm not surprised. Solid. And yeah. not enough people have played that yet. So right. that's pretty that's, high yeah. for that's that. That's what I thought. Is yeah. that I didn't think a lot of people had played it. Because so. you mentioned you got to play it with your wife. And so I was just wondering, is this a game that... Because I love playing Root at max player count. And I assume Pax Premier is somewhat similar. But you said you played a two-player. How do you feel about that? Oh, I love it at two-player. And this one, we actually... This is the first time I've ever gone through the entire deck. So we had the whole wow. deck. We ended up going through the whole deck. I, I was going to Afghan at first. And then she went British. And she blew up a, a bunch of my Afghan blocks <laughs> as she likes to and towards the end I was basically like putting out my blocks and then she would just knock them off knock them off and I was just trying to get through the deck to get I needed a, a prize I needed it a card to get out so I could take it as a prize to flip to British and 
I still lost, but Cole has. It, it's great at two. It, it can end quick, but it's a fantastic game yeah. at all player counts. Absolutely. I totally agree. Cole has said that this is his 18xx game, and Afghanis, Russians, and British are the stocks. And so basically, it's a very different game at two than at five, but it. It is still very interesting. So, so yeah, that's why it made my number one. Okay, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt okay. the list. I just good. I remember no, no, you no, saying no. that. Yeah. I just thought that'd be yeah, interesting. It's fantastic. It's good. I'm interested and to hear. Believe me. <laughs> and I mean, I'll flat out tell you right now, I am going to be in on this Kickstarter because I missed out on Pax Premier the first time around. Okay. And, and I'm I am going to uh, also allow you to do that, and I'll play your copy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should just let him get it. Okay. All right. Number 10 is. Castles of Burgundy. Solid. Oh, solid. solid. Good yep. game. Yep. Okay. Number nine is City of the Big Shoulders. Ooh. So once again, I mean, fairly strong for the number of people that, it, you know, I was surprised if it played it and voted. That's really great. Number eight, another new one, Mari Kaibo. So, wow. yeah. I didn't, yeah, that's also new. So it's yeah. odd that a lot of these people got to play yep, it. Yep, a lot of hotness there. So number seven, Mr. One of Chad's favorite and his top Lacerda, Lisboa. Mm. Yeah, a lot go. of people voting for Lisboa. Um, number six, uh, probably Chad C. Probably did some fake names to try to get this up there a little bit further. But uh, terraforming yeah. Mars. Ooh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. If we can have this. <laughs> I know. I was like, what's going <laughs> we, on? Here? Should we put Skull King in its place, Cliff? Would that be all right? <laughs> uh, who invited him? All right. Number five, Chad's number one, Gaia Project. Wow. All right. Number four, Brass, the base game. Huh? Brass, the base game. <laughs> okay. <laughs> number three, my former number one, Great Western Trail. And then number two, and this one was the most surprising to me just because for Chad and I, we just don't even think about this game very much, but obviously we know Richie loves it a lot, and that's Concordia. So Concordia oh, yeah. came in number two. Yeah. A lot broccoli. of high votes for this one. I mean, people, it wasn't it's like a fantastic a, game. Yeah, I understand. But a lot of people, this is up there. No, no, in their I don't top think you understand. Three. You'd I don't be think surprised. Either one of you yeah. understand. No, you'd be surprised. Broccoli is a popular vegetable. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to put some cheese sauce on it when I play it. <laughs> yeah, that's the salsa expansion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this fish. Somebody else told me to play with the fish. <laughs> All right. Somebody said if you play with the fish, you'll like it better. All right. And then number one, no surprise here brass birmingham i mean wow yeah uh and by a long shot wasn't even close like at least 30 to 40 more points than concordia anyways there is the punch bunches top 10 or 11 and i really want to thank everybody for putting in their votes and giving us their top 10 it was really cool to listen to yeah it was a solid list they had i do, I do want to throw this out there because uh, uh jordan hopper created our geek app oh yeah right and you can join that get your collection thrown in there and it it will pull together all of our ratings and stuff like that and you get some really cool stats out of that thank you jordan hopper for that uh you should give a listen to his podcast the no cube zone it it sounds sketchy sounds like not so many euros but you know jordan's fighting a good fight i know he's trying to push yeah i think he's trying to get the euro world in there and give those guys some culture down there that's right and that's needed i think for those guys because he one of his favorites is age of steam so yeah oh yeah absolutely well i think his number one is concordia Concordia. Well, technically, this isn't a Kickstarter, but I wanted to talk about uh, a documentary that's out because we're cultured. 
we, you know, we're cultured guys. Some of us at the table are, yes. Right, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Are we ordering pizza, by the way, just real quick? <laughs> All right, settle down now. Got it on the way. Okay, okay. So this, uh, what I want to promote is the Game Designers documentary. That's what it's called. And it's from Eric Rail. I think that's pronounced right. Eric Rail, R-A-Y-L. And he sent us uh, an advanced copy of of this documentary now it's already gone out to kickstarter backers that was kind of last year that it was released digitally but this is a really really interesting documentary it's got interviews he follows antoine bauza around he talks to matt leacock in depth he also even has some short interviews with clef's favorite designer martin wallace he talks to wolfgang Cromer and reiner Knizia a little bit i mean that's all really interesting some of the most interesting stuff though is that he follows some budding designers around as they're trying to get hold of their designs and play test them and also go to meetings and do their elevator pitches and all those sorts of things. And one of the nice things, I wish that there were more of these, but he follows a budding female designer because there aren't enough of those in the industry right now. And it was nice to, to follow her as well as some of the others and hear about that stuff. I think that if you are at all interested in game design, interested in those designers, this will be really thought-provoking for you, and you should try and see if you can get a hold of it. It's already on Vimeo and Amazon, supposedly, but it's going to go live March 16th, as they planned, on iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube Movies. I would highly suggest it. Like I said, there are going to be the designers you know, but some of the more interesting stories on this documentary are following those less established designers that are trying to break in. I would highly suggest the documentary, the Board Game Designers documentary from Eric Rail. No, that sounds really cool. I think, you know, we hear about documentaries and, you know, you know, they're hit or miss. But I think if that was something that our board game genre could tap into, I think that would be just something that would explode. I mean, I I have like a lofty goal of like seeing like at the Oscars or something, a board game documentary that was filmed well, has a great story, great characters, and something that could really bring new people into the hobby. So this new medium of videos, I think it's totally untapped. I'd love to see yeah. this. This starts to bridge that gap. So yes, I'd, I'd recommend people check into it. Very cool. Yeah, absolutely. And when does it come out? March 16th on the iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube movies. All right, guys. Are you ready? It is time to review The Molten Hotness. Mari Kaibo. Marikaibo is a one to four player game by Alexander Fister, published by Capstone Games. Captain! Captain! When do we leave? Soon, my lad. Soon. Ah. Feel that breeze on your face. Feel the warmth of the sun on your back. And the sound of the waves striking the bow as the ship sails on the sea. Oh, what fun it is to be at sea. In Maracaibo, you will be the captain of a ship sailing to the to different cities and villages in the Caribbean. There will be four decade-long voyages that you embark on to sell your goods, add crew to your ship, discover new lands, and find gold. On your turn, you will be moving your ship one to seven spaces, 
then stopping to do one of four actions, either doing a city action, village actions, an assistant action, or completing a quest. Players take turns in a clockwise rotation until one player has reached the end of the track, and then all other players have one more turn that round. On your turn, your actions will let you remove discs from your shipboard to give you better actions. You're going to have options to play cards from your hand that will become either crew or buildings that will either help increase your income or your victory points or increase other actions. Or you're going to be able to help out one of the three powerful nations that roam the open seas in the form of combat actions. You will continue to do this until four rounds have passed. You will then score victory points from the cards in your tableau, the influence of the three nations, and then all the points that you've acquired during the game. The person with the most victory points is the winner. Obviously, that is a very, very quick overview of the rules. There's there's a lot more to it, but, uh, you know, we, we can talk about some more of this stuff as we go along with review. So let's, but we always start with uh, the most basic thing here, and uh, that's going to be art, components, and iconography, you know, kind of goes along with the art. So, Richie, what is your feelings on those categories? I mean, the art and the components are uh, just standard Euro fare for me. There's nothing, you know, crazy about it. And I'll talk a little bit about the theme. I mean, there is a, you know, a setting just like the Magnificent. There's a setting for the theme, but you know, this could be anything. Any type of race around anything, this could be. You could easily change the theme. Did, did you just hear my pirate voice, voice in this? I part? did. And I mean, we'll talk about the campaign later. I may argue your writing might be a little bit better. <laughs> oh, snap. But <laughs> the production is good. Just solid, solid game. You feel like yeah, solid? It's Euro just fair. solid. Okay. Euro fair. Okay. Dan, what's your feelings on the art and components? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a standard Euro. I mean, actually, when I uh, prepared my notes, that was the very first thing I wrote for art and components. It is standard. Uh, nothing jumped out to me. I will say that the iconography, it's a lot. Um, and I know we're going to have this comparison a lot, but I'll just get the ball rolling. I mean, this is an Alexander Fister game, so there are going to be comparisons to Great Western Trail, no doubt. But initially, upon looking on it, you know, this is a heavy iconography euro there's a lot of icons on the board i will say you know with a slow trepidation you know understanding what you're doing very carefully reading the rule book it's very easy to pick up but upon initial onset it's a little overwhelming with all the different iconographies i will say that they have learned and they have improved upon what they did in great western trail there were some confusing negatives and pluses all that has been removed. You literally, you know what is a coin. You know what's a victory point. You know what's income. So in that respect, I think they did great with the iconography. But I mean, the art, you know, the pictures, they look like standard Euro art. Right. Yeah. Nothing special. Chad, what's your feelings on it? I'll agree with, with what Dan said. I think it could be overwhelming on first blush. But overall, it's what you'd expect. There are a lot of things to keep track of, and the iconography bears that out. The one thing I will bring up, because I've heard other reviews ding this, is the little discs that you take on and off of your board. And they've said, this is, you know, it's a pain, it's too small, they're too fiddly, whatever. But I have not found that to be so personally. I don't really think that the disc that you take off of and put on the track if you have the card for the good so to speak 
if you do that, that I don't think that's too fiddly. I don't I've never had a problem with in my plays of knocking discs over or having them be too small to pick up or anything like that. So so for people that have heard that, I will say in the negative that that hasn't been a problem. Yeah, so, I I would just kind of echo that. I mean, there are tons of tracks. There are tracks. There are things you put down. There are ways you have to put cubes. You're moving things up tracks. You're moving your little explorer. You're setting cubes in a very particular spots. There is certainly opportunity for you to mess things up. But I think with any of these higher complex euros that have a million bits, you know, I'm thinking a lot of Uva Rosenberg games. You know, if you're being smart if you're not you know using giant myths to move everything you're going to be fine with it it never deterred from my play of the game yeah and and i and what we're talking about is, is certainly you have a a personal player board that has your ship and you're going to be removing these little discs to get ship upgrades and i have also heard that same negative comment about it but i i'm going to agree with chad here the fact that i, I don't i've never found a problem with it um i'm able to pick the discs up and you can't have them too big because you know, I mean, the board would be enormous then, you know, yeah, so you've got to have upgrades. a certain, you've got to have some, you just, that's how it has to be for unfortunately this game. And to me, some people, I heard them complain a little bit, kind of like Terraforming Mars, where, well, if you bump your player board, what do you do? This game, I don't find that to be a big deal. You know what disc you've taken off and which ones you've opened up. So if you accidentally bump your board, usually nothing goes flying all that bad. But you know where your discs are, and you can pick them up if you. But it's not them. a it's not a Stonemaier production. You're not opening up this game and saying, "Wow, this is amazing." This no, components are no, blowing me away. Absolutely. And the uh, the other thing I was going to say about the components is, if you're going to play this game a lot, the the cards are not the best of quality, uh, so you you do need to sleeve them. But overall, I mean, I think the components. I mean, you got a nice little ship. I mean, they didn't have to do that. They could have just Ooh, been a little, the you, what's your game meeples. And they have the what and they have a little shout out to them. And they do a shout out. <laughs> In the rule book of hey, thanks. What's your game for letting us use the assistance? So that was pretty awesome. I thought, yeah. So overall, serviceable for what the game is. Okay, so next, uh, let's do rule book. And I think you know this is going to be kind of because we I taught both of uh, Richie and Chad this game. But uh, so Dan and I, we learned this from the rule book. This was one of those few games where neither one of us had played it at the same time until we sat down with each other and we literally opened it, punched it, separated the cards and learned it. And uh, it was great. Perfect rule book. Uh, obviously, there are a few minor rules that we took a game or two for us to kind of really figure out. But uh, I had no issues. There's a great appendix in the back for all the different types of uh, card options and iconography. So everything is laid out in there really, really nicely. It's broken down into sections. Um, it is a heavy game, so it's going to take you a long read to get through it. But I mean, we had, I would say we got 95% of it correct on our first play. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it was a very easy flow of a rule book is what I would feel like. I mean, it just led you right through it. And uh, yeah, I had no big problems. The biggest thing that we had is we just were not 100% on those uh, city actions at the very end since they are a little bit smaller than the normal cities. And we were a little bit confused on that our first couple of games. But, you know, once we figured it out, it was it made sense. Now, this is where we may differ. Um, when you have been teaching this game, what kind of issues have new people come up with while you teaching it? Has there been like a big glaring thing that everyone usually stumbles upon their first play? No, I really haven't. Uh, now, I think partly... You know, because I do know the game so well, it's very easy for me to teach wow. and keep Really? The, You're saying that already? So, okay. Well, 
it we is his number a, one game. Okay. Of all I, mean, time. I guess, yeah. Okay. okay. But no, I, I feel like while I'm teaching this, I don't feel like anybody's really had a big issue with anything. You know, you got to do some hand holding with, with certain people, but I, I don't think anybody's really been totally confused about anything. Yeah, I think that, you know, a lot similar to Great Western Trail, how to play the game is fairly straightforward. I mean, what you have options to do is simple. Obviously, the complexity comes in the strategy. But yeah, teaching it, I haven't really come into a few issues. It does have a decent player aid. It's a little busy on the backside of it. Yeah, I, really I just stay away. I stay away from. I the back. don't let people look at that backside, but the front side does a nice job of telling you exactly what to do. You know, it's like, hey, to start your turn off, move your boat one to seven spaces. There you go. That's that's what you're going to do. Then you can either do this action, this action, this action, or this action at the end of your turn. Draw back up to your hand size. Yep. I mean, that's that's all there is to it. But it does it in a very nice, nice way. Yeah, and it. I mean, if you are familiar with Fister's games, like you can tell that this is a Fister game. It has influences from his other big box games. Uh, if you are used to that, you you'll learn this game quickly. Clearly, and I'm sure we'll get into that more as we go on in gameplay. Well, let's get to it, guys. All right, so I'm going to kind of break this down and just kind of talk about some individual parts of the gameplay and just kind of get everybody's feelings on these. So. Uh, first thing is to me, and I think we just kind of talked about this. What is your guys' just feeling of the overall how the game flows? So, Chad, I mean, when you play this, how do you feel like this game flows? Well, I will say that when I heard that this was kind of a, it's not, but when when I heard that this was a get around the track and end the round sort of game, and you have four of those, that I was worried that this was a race game, which doesn't always play well with me. But this game doesn't quite feel like that this game is more of a not quite but almost how you talk about heaven and ale where i'm going to go ahead this many spaces and get this but then that means that i'm missing out on some other stuff this turn and i may move ahead and finish before you do but at least you know i will get the things that i really need sort of thing and then you're always balancing that out if you're the person that comes after okay well i better do this then if if he's doing that or she's moving ahead and getting this then i need to make sure that i you know, follow with this action. So right, right. The, it doesn't quite feel like a race game if you look at it that way. And and also towards the end of the track, you have these obligatory spots that you have to hit. And so you can almost see that coming as the players that are behind the lead player. So that that's one thing that I'll say about about the game in general, that it surprised me. It didn't it didn't bother me in that way. In fact, I like the gameplay that way. Okay. Richie, what do you think about that? Yeah, and I would have to agree. That at first, when I saw that, I was thinking more like Great Western Trail. Because Great Western Trail, you can rush Kansas City, and that can be a pretty effective strategy and actually hurt people if they're not close enough to reach it if they need to. And in this, I really I didn't get that same... The same the pressure just wasn't didn't seem like it was necessarily there. But the, the overall gameplay is smooth. It's I mean, it's pretty simple. You're taking one of the seven steps, or you're taking the action, or you're doing your city action. So it plays very smoothly, very quickly. Yeah, well, wait till you play the solo game, then you'll find out what Russian's all about in that <laughs> game. Uh, anyways, Dan, what, what is your feelings? So on- when I first started playing this game, especially when I was teaching it to new people, I found that people were hesitant to go fast. They felt like every action was so valuable that they would really kind of just piecemeal it just one time one little step at a time do an action they didn't want to skip over any space they wanted to do as many actions as they could and then 
after a couple games or even in that same game, once you get through a round or two, because everybody gets the same amount of actions every round. It's just a matter of which spaces do you do. You start to kind of put things together. Your engine gets going. You're making more money. I found that as the games get going, they speed up. And so that race feeling, that anxiety feeling gets kind of your heart kind of goes up into your throat and you start thinking, oh man, maybe I should skip over all these spaces so I can go and do the battle set, you know, or maybe, maybe I just want to go end the round right now. And that anxiety, I think, isn't there at the beginning, which is a good thing. It starts off slow. I mean, you, the game starts and you're looking at you, you have those career cards, which kind of give you a little bit of a direction. Like, I think I'm going to go for quests or I'm going to go exploring or battling. And you have your hands in your card and you're just kind of slowly going forward. By the beginning of round four, you're like, I know what I got to do. I got to go to this prestige card. I have to build this card that I've been holding the whole game. You have these set plans. And I like that that build to like that crescendo where that last round is just, it's so cutthroat that it makes the game exciting to the very last end. Right, right. And I, I think Richie said this, and what I wrote down here about this is smooth. I mean, I feel like the gameplay is very smooth it's just very move your boat and take an action what's so beautiful about the game is is the actions in you take is the strategy of this game and there's that's where the fun is of what you decide to do there's a strategy of how far you go what action you decide to take what card you want to play what are you know the whole thing kind of starts to just kind of meld together and it just gives you that really good feel and it has that that engine building which you know is what a lot of people love in a game is your engine starts to build as you get cards and they do different different things and you know like round one you're basically going to buy one card or play one card right Mm -hmm. and you're like wow how do i get any money and then all of a sudden you get in that third and fourth round all of a sudden you start to have money upon money upon money and now it's like i gotta spend all this money before the end of the game and i like that build I think, too, because of the tactical nature of the game, you know, your hand is changing frequently. You know, don't fall in love with the cards in your hand because you're going to get new cards. I think having that tactical nature where you have to kind of make a new decision on the fly based on what you have in your hand, what your opponents are doing, uh, what new prestige buildings are coming out. You have to be able to immediately change your plan. And I think that helps what you guys talked about, the smooth feeling of the game. Some other games where you have to have a plan in round one, and if that gets derailed in round two, your game is screwed. And that can kind of maybe make the game feel a little more bumpy and not as organic as it should be. This game doesn't have that. You can pivot and still succeed in this game, and I think that's what helps it. The cards are a very big part of this game. Uh, That is probably the the biggest difference between like I would say Mombasa or Great Western Trail a couple of his previous games where the cards are so important the I should say that you know where you're building cards as opposed to in Mombasa you know they're just kind of a means to do the actions in Great Western Trail obviously you're just trying to deck build and get different cattle this you're actually building a tableau an engine building type of tableau when you when you first get a hand of cards what is your guys' thoughts when you kind of first have that hand of cards? What is some thought process that you're going on? I'm usually looking to see if there's any synergy token lining up. Okay. Uh, and, I mean, that that can hurt you if you kind of 
base your whole strategy around that and you just don't after that hand of cards you just don't get any more of those synergy tokens which is possible the randomness in that can hurt you but it didn't seem like it cropped up too often just because you you can really go through the cards if you want to you have that display that you can purchase from sure uh, but that that is something that could happen to you okay okay chad is there anything that you're kind of looking for when you look at your cards Synergy tokens are are good. I also will say there was a game I played recently where I had the Master Builder. I had three of the Master Builder in my hand, and I wanted to get all those out, so I kept them in my hand. Because that's a nice thing about this game is you can stack abilities. So all of a sudden, if I get those three Master Builders out, all of the cards that I want to buy or build cost three less now, which can be big in the opening of the game. So that's that's a nice strategy if it's there sometimes in the opening. And that's one thing that I look for. Ultimately, if we're talking about the cards in this game, I like, as opposed to some of the other Fister games, how this one feels more multi-use. You know me, I'm a big multi-use card yeah. fan. And this feels like it it uses that in ways that are interesting to me. And, and just so if it, for those who haven't played the game, what Chad's talking about is every card has three different uses. It has what we've been talking about where you can play the person or a building as, you know, into your tableau, or you can discard it for either a good, which there's three different goods, tobacco, sugar, and, uh, and corn. And then you, or you can also discard it for an object. And there's like four different objects, uh, you know, maps and, and such like that. So yes, so each card sometimes uh you know and dan you were saying you don't want to become married to your cards though you know just because you go through cards so fast and you're always drawing your hand size back up uh, you know interesting though that chad said the master builder because i think a lot of people that i've noticed that's something that they try to do they get master builders and they're good because they only cost six and they give you three victory points besides giving you that dollar uh off but i i've been wondering here the last few games i've been playing i've been staying away from them because i'm not sure I, I i've just not been sure if it's worth the bang for your buck because if that's the first card you play in a round you basically don't get another card out and then you don't gain anything else off that master builder any income any victory points or anything like that so i'm curious and obviously you know i know i've played a few more games than you have chad but i'm curious and i want to keep exploring that i'm i'd be real interested to hear what other people have uh, that have experienced that if they feel like that master builder strategy is you know the way to go or if if maybe it's not i don't know dan what is your thoughts on that one yeah i mean i'm in the same boat as you i think that we started off seeing well a discount is a discount and it's something to go for and i think if your strategy or your tactics is you know pushing you in that direction then go for it i mean i've had games where i've had i think four master builders and i did build a lot of buildings and i think i did win that game but the variables are few and far between. I mean, what are the other players doing? Are they rushing the game? Are they going slow? If it's a slow game, then maybe I do want to get those master builders out. And I think yeah. you talked about, you know, what am I looking for initially? It's one of those core games where it's like in Dominion. When do you stop getting cards that give you coin? And when do you flip over and start getting coins to give you or cards to give you victory points? That's effectively what I'm doing. I've played games where I'm like, wow, this is going to give me more money production and more money production. And by the end of the game, I'm making the max. I'm making $30 around. But then by the end of the game, I have 
$25 left over. And so it's that delicate balance of, you know, what Richie said, you got to have the right cards in front of you, but you got to get that engine going at the same time too. And I think that's just a, uh, a benefit to how good this game is, is that you have both those options in this game. And so I really think there isn't a prevalent strategy at the beginning. I think whatever you do, you just need to perform it well. Mm, very good. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the ship itself. So as we've kind of alluded to, there are the ship actions, uh, upgrades, I guess we would say. Um, do you guys feel like there's anything there that you always want to go for? Do you think that there's anything there that's, that's uh, you know, just kind of what your feelings are on those ship grades in general? Obviously, they're important, but I mean, what what makes you think of which way you want to go with that? I have not played nearly as many games as you have, but hand size always gives me more options. So if I bump up the hand size on my ship right away, I've ultimately got more options for what I can do early. And like I said, if I'm talking about that master builder strategy that I was talking about, if it comes out early, that's better, right? Because then you're talking about that many more coins per round. If it comes out late, no, maybe it's not worth it. But again, getting as many cards as you can get and churning through those and giving yourself as many options seems to me to be a good strategy in this game. So that's definitely one. And I will say as a sidebar, this was probably one of my favorite things about the game because it gave me, even though that that's seemed a strong strategy, it gave me more personalization in yeah, this game I would agree. as opposed to yeah. Great Western Trail. Like Great Western Trail, I felt like I was just trying to wipe stuff off my board as quickly as possible. This felt like it was my ship that did certain things that Ooh. I wanted it to do. Nice. And I really enjoyed that. Okay. All right. Yeah, I would agree that this this is a an improvement on Great Western Trail for sure. Because with Great Western Trail, you're going to knock off those hand sizes or you're going to knock off, if you're playing with the expansion, you're going to knock off the that extra auxiliary so you can get more of your stations out on the expansion board. Uh, whereas this, I mean, for your first one, you may need some cash. If you want to get a card, you may want to increase your hand size. You have, there are other options to go with depending on what strategy you're going after. Yeah, this, this part of the game is where it kind of gets my my juices flowing. This is where I play this game and I'm like, this is the part that I... Because you play other aspects of the game and we're all doing the same thing. We're moving around the board. We're doing similar actions. But the moment I go to my ship and I'm thinking, okay, what do I want to do? Do I want to increase my hand size? Do I want to uh, increase my battle options? Do I just want to go for straight victory points? Increase my village actions? The amount of things that are on there, I think just open the game up dramatically to when you play. You could literally have the same hand of cards in multiple games, but choose different upgrades and go at completely different strategic path. I, I love that part. I'm still kind of finagling that. I don't really know. I know when we started playing, we always thought that the upgraded movement, because normally when you move your ship, one, four, and seven is what triggers how many actions you can do, one, two, or three, respectively. And so there's an upgrade that reduces that amount. So you're thinking, oh man, I can move fewer spaces, but get more actions. That seems like a no-brainer. And now that we've played it, we're thinking, man, maybe that isn't the option. And now I've gone back and forth because I'm thinking, well, if I have a huge influx of money, maybe I do want more village actions. And I think that just the complexity upon that decision of that single ship upgrade alone is what made that aspect of the game my favorite part. Yeah. And, and we were just talking about that earlier, how it is when you've played it as much as we have, it does, you know, kind of have that flow of, well, we used to do this and we liked it, but now we figured out, well, maybe we're doing this and that, and it is, but every game it's like, 
okay, I'm going to do this ship upgrade first. And, and it's it's very interesting how that goes. So really, I'm just going to repeat everything you guys just said, because that's exactly how I feel. I love that. Just how you get to choose how you want to upgrade your ship. The next thing that I would be curious on gameplay, and this is what a lot of people feel like is the most important thing, and that's the combat that is going to drive these three influence tracks. So basically, there is England, France, and Spain in this game, and really just represented by a blue, a red, and a white cube. And when you go to take a combat, you basically are going to choose one of those nations. You're going to get some combat points or action points, and you're going to gain some influence in these these nations and be able to put out some of their cubes around the board and get some bonuses. But the big thing is, is moving, like I said, moving up this influence track. You can score a lot of points from this influence track. In fact, if you max out a category and you're at the very far end of the influence track, and it's the number one uh, nation at the end of the round, you can get 56 points at the end of the game. Absolutely. So that's huge. Combat, is it the most important thing, Dan? I mean, I, I think that it is a core mechanism of the game. I think when, you know, I, when people say that it is uh, a ding to the game because you have to focus on combat, I don't think that they're approaching it in the right way because a lot of games... There is a central mechanism. In Terraforming Mars, you have to play cards. So to say that if you avoid cards, you're going to lose, well, that's because it's a core mechanism of the game. Conversely, in Maracaibo, gaining influence with these three countries is a core mechanism of the game. How you do it is certainly up to you, but the primary way is through combat. So the biggest thing that I've found is you have to base it upon your opponents. If they're going heavy combat and they're getting huge amounts of influence, you you have to compete with them in that aspect. But if they're not, it doesn't necessarily have to be mandatory. I've seen people succeed with tons of cards or getting all the way to the end of the explore track or getting all of their ship upgrades and really focusing on all of the prestige cards. I think it's a core aspect and I think it is very possible to win the game with just that. But... I don't think that is the end-all, be-all. Okay. Chad, I mean, when you've played it, do you feel like that that combat is something that you, or the influence tracks, is something you've had to concentrate on? My first play of the game ever, I focused almost solely on that, and I won. And then I had another game where I focused on the Explorer track, and I came very close to winning. So I, I don't, and, and I didn't do any combat i'm saying none okay and so i don't think that you need to i think that you can look at combat like fister's cowboy track or or a strategy in in great western trail that that seems like the easiest most accessible one but it's not necessarily well it's certainly not the only one so it may be harder or depending on the depending on the the board setup you may be uh, more enticed to do that, but certainly on the Explorer track or some of the other things you can definitely, depending on those prestige guards or those prestige buildings, you can win other ways. Right. And and I would, I feel the same way. I, I, I don't think that the influence track is a must. I certainly think it's, it's a good thing. And you certainly don't want somebody to be at the 56 points and you to be at the zero points. So I've noticed here lately, it's just, if I notice somebody getting out too far on a certain nation, 
well, then I just start hopping on that nation and, and flying right like along with them. Um, just, you know, then that way, even if maybe they score an extra 10 points or so at the end of the game on you, that's not that big a deal as long as you've, you know, you've got other things. But if you let somebody go hog wild on the, on it, yes, that can be tough to win against, but I don't think it's the end all. That's one of those things I've just heard that from a couple of other podcasts that they're like, oh, if you don't do the influence, you're just not going to win the game. And I just, I don't think that that's true. Does the randomness of the, the combat tile bother you at all? Just the, fact, just the fact that you just flip over the top one and, and you get what you get. Not at all. Okay. I, I, I find that intriguing sometimes. I, it's interesting to see what comes up. Yeah, I mean, I will actually say, you know, going back to when we were talking about teaching it, this is certainly the most fiddly. I don't know if that's the word. It's, it's, it's certainly probably more complex than it needs to be. The combat aspect, I think, initially, upon the, when you're looking at it, is a little overwhelming. Um, but I... I don't know how they could have made it any better. I think it works for what it does, um, but I like the I like the way it is integrated. I like that it is an option, but I don't. I like that it is something you can completely avoid, like Chad said, and still be competitive. And I just want to make sure so everybody is well aware when they're hearing us say combat. There's zero combat right. in this game. Yeah, there's no combat. Right. No, no combat. It, the only combat is when I threw my cards at you because you messed me up. But yeah. yeah, that's that's the combat. It literally is action points. You just get so many action points, and then you can spend those to do different things. So if you're like, oh, God, I don't want to have combat. I don't like combat in my game. You're fine. Okay, so really the last thing I want to talk about for, for gameplay, and we, we kind of touched on a little bit. Chad said he had won a game with traveling, is the travel aspect. Is it is it worth it? Is it not worth it? Do you feel like you get enough out of it? Richie, have you, how much have you traveled in the games you've played? <laughs> almost zero. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Pretty much and, almost zero. And is that because you just don't feel like it's worth it or you've just been concentrating on other things? Honestly, it's just been the cards that I've gotten. I've, I really have not gotten a lot of cards that have focused on that to where you're getting those extra movements down there. And I mean, maybe it's just because I'm drawn to the word combat. I don't know. That's typically the route that I go and then I, <laughs> I fill in. I, I've been past the first line. That's it. And at wow. least I I feel like you want to always get at least past the first line because it gives you that three bump and in influence. I mean, if you're not going heavy, but but sometimes, I mean, Dan, you've had games never even moved. Maybe you moved one spot to get the three coins and yeah. then that's it. I, yep. One of the things that I always consider when I'm doing the expedition, when I'm considering moving on the expedition track is that the rewards that you gain initially on the expedition track are substandard. They're very low. It's like three coins, one victory point, remove a single token. It's not very, you know, efficient for your actions. Where it becomes fruitful is when you really get far up the track. I personally have never gotten to the very end of the track. I haven't really truly pushed it, but I've seen people get to the end of the track and they have done very, very well. I think that it is a very good complementary strategy. I think that if you did that and you avoided combat, I don't know if that would be a recipe for success. Um, I think that, you know, as Richie said, based on what the cards or your career card that comes out, if that dictates you to go for it and you get start getting some sort of synergies from all the cards that you've been building, maybe it could be fruitful. I think it really depends on the amount of players in the game. In a two-player game, if one person is going combat and you decide to go explore track, I don't think that works. I think that you have to kind of mid-max. In a four-player game, I could see that being more of a viable option. But in just in the the amount of two-player games that you you and I have personally played, Clef, you really just have to say, what are they going for? I have to compete with them in that aspect. So 
I see the potential in it, but I don't know if it's the end all be all of the strategies. Yeah, and I just looked up our last four player game. So it was Chad, Clef, Josh, and I. And I know I went heavy combat that that game, and you three all went on the explore track. And I think Chad and Josh got to the very end, and I won with one ninety six. You were at one ninety five. Chad was at one ninety. So wow. I mean, it was a very close game. Even though we all went different strategies, and I did, I, I can tell you, I remember that game. I did not touch combat at wow. all. No, yeah, wow. you didn't. I like how Richie had to pull that one out where he won by one point. Okay. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> just to reiterate, I won with one ninety six, and Clef had one ninety five. I had one ninety five. So that was with spotting long. him five points, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't, right. you didn't eclipse the two hundred mark. So I mean, you know, there's goals. This is true. <laughs> let me know. Let me know when you get there. It's yeah, a fun yeah. club to be in. Yeah, it's a fun yeah. club to be in. Yeah, you get hey, there. We'll talk. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I think it's great trying to move into player count. Um, Chad, what what player counts have you gotten a chance to play this at? I have only played it at three and four a few times, and I I try. I'm going to be honest here. I tried to play it solo, but it is just a such a setup heavy game that I just couldn't make myself play solo i just mm. I've, I've been really under the gun with time to play games sure. lately anyway that hurts, yeah. it's been really tough but i i had it sitting out on my table for about five days and i tried and tried and i just could not well i i actually completely disagree with you chad 100 percent. actually more than 100 percent disagree with you <laughs> well, well, well hold on he said though the setup well of course i guess you've had it set up for five days the setup is not easy for a solo game there is. A, you still are you going to tell me that the setup is easy for this? And that are it's, we? I mean, are we comparing it to other solo games? I would hope so. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> because I've played some solo games where the setup is ridiculous. You have a whole separate rule book, and there's you know setup upon setup upon setup, and you have okay, another well, that player doesn't board. Make the other one easy, but what games are you talking about? Uh, well, Feast for Odin solo is ridiculous. Okay, well, Feast for Odin by itself is ridiculous, but okay. <laughs> uh, and then I, just more recently, Cooper Island to me is one of the most overly complex solo games that I've played. It has those cards, and it it comes out pretty easily. I would think. I, I don't. I haven't played it at that yet. Uh, you would think, but you would think. Oh boy, Andreas Odendahl, he packed. He packed punk. a punch. <laughs> I will say that once you get it set up, at least one time. The subsequent times, it becomes a lot easier. Okay, it's okay. just like learning a game. Once you've played it once, you know, quote unquote, played it, it kind of locks into your long term memory and you get it a lot easier. Well, here's where I'm coming from. I like to play games like uh, the card game of Castles of Burgundy or M Marvel Champions or stuff like that. Okay. That is easy breezy to set up. Okay. I'm not into like a 15 minute set up the board, all the chits and all that kind of stuff for a solo game. I don't like to play Lacerda games solo either. Right. And. Here's the thing, Dan. We're talking about me and you have played this game 20 plus times. So it's a setup's a little bit easier for us because we, we don't have to look at the rule book to know yeah. where anything goes. Yeah. So, okay, before we get into the solo, let's just go back to the normal <laughs> two, three, and four players. So, Chad, three and four, enjoyed them both. Three right? and four was great. Yep. yep. I mean, no, no, no worries. No, didn't feel like took too long with four players. I mean, four was long, but I never noticed. You know what I mean? Yeah, like exactly. it, I, I looked up and I was like, whoa, that much time has gone by. And it was three new players. Right. So. Exactly. Which that's there. And, and Richie, you've gotten it. At, two uh, and four. OK. And I, I have noticed that four, especially with new players, it dragging just a little bit. And it, once again, this is some a flaw of mine that I have to oh, work yeah, on. Oh, yeah, that's right. Your flaws. Yeah. But. I mean, it's hard. Like when I play a two-player game with Clef and we play it in under an hour, it's hard to then sit and watch people sit there for like 10 minutes looking at their cards. Yeah. I just, 
it's, it's just tough for me. I think most games, and this is the case, I think most, with this one, I feel like, I think most games are best at three. I, I feel like a lot of Fister games are that way as well. It has great scalability to me. I mean, they're, it just does everything just perfect. I, I love it at two because, yeah, we can bang it out. I mean, it's fast. But I still feel like four, like Chad said, I don't feel like the time goes by because even if people are taking a little bit with their turn, in that game, I feel like I, I can kind of sit back and think, okay, well, I could play this card or I could go to this spot or I wonder if they're going to go there. And Chad, something that I said that was very, very interesting to me just a little bit ago, when we talk about comparing games and Chad said the words heaven and ale and I kind of clicked in my head and I said, this is a little bit like heaven and ale in the sense of, okay, I'm ready to move my ship. Okay, well, I, should I hop up and get that, you know, go to that combat so I can deliver first or... Should I try to hit this action and hope that that's still available? So that's very interesting in in that fact um, that uh, that you have that. And obviously, in a two player game, it's a little bit you don't have to worry about it quite as much because you know you feel like. But yet, it also scales where you might only have a single delivery spot in cities as opposed to you know two of them in in the more player counts. Yeah, so. and now I will say that I I did enjoy my four player games and I do like more people in the game. It's just obviously I got to work on my flow. Let's talk about the thus unsaid fact in the room, which is that you have played this solo and like probably many times solo. Okay, Dan, you start with how you started with the solo game and then we'll get into me. Whenever I really, really enjoy a game, you know, you're you're investing a lot of time into it. You're looking it up online. You're reading every single post on BGG about it. And one of the things that this game had was a solo. Now, I've dabbled in a few solo games. Generally, the ones I do are the Euro ones where you're just going for a high score. And that fulfills me in the fact that I'm getting to play the game. But I never really felt the aspect of, you know, I want to go play solo because this is giving me the same feeling of the game. Well, this game does that. You are actually playing against a bot. And when you play this game, it feels like you're playing a two-player game. And it feels like you're playing a two-player game with an expert if you're playing on the hard ver- uh, hard difficulty. Um, I don't know. What is her name? What is the name of the bot? I don't uh, know. Jean or yeah. Jean. I think it's meant to be French. I think it's Jean. Well, Jean is a freaking a-hole because I cannot beat this person. I need to take some things back about the word Gene. <laughs> well, I just because when I you could pl- be wrong, but no, I think you're right. But I think when you're you, right. When you when you play it, there are there's a deck of cards and you build the deck based on the difficulty you want. So if you want easy, there's certain cards you set aside and then more so if you want it to be more difficult. And then on your turn, you literally just play a card and you move the opponent's ship, which represents, you know, the the bot, and then they do a single action based on the card, not necessarily the location they're on. So th- I found that their turns take like ten to fifteen seconds. It's very very smooth, but then you're able to go into your turn. But what I found when I played this is that the bot is really good. They're really, really good, and they're fast. They're moving tons and tons of spaces, so that each round, if uh, when Clef was talking about the the Sweet. setup of the game, you play the game technically over four rounds or four decades, and you usually have about maybe two, three, probably four actions each revolution around the map. When you play with the bot, you're getting two 
like at most, maybe three if you're really lucky. And it just opened my eyes to a completely different type of bot. The way that they crafted this, I don't know if Fister was a part of this or he had some assistance, but it is perfectly developed. And in fact, I was so impressed with the solo version that I came over to Clef's house. We were about to play a two-player game of Maracaibo, and I said, no, we are not doing this. I am going to sit here and do nothing and I'm going to watch you play solo. And we proceeded to do that. And what was your thoughts after that? Well, before my thoughts, I was like, you're crazy. I'm not, <laughs> why are we playing a solo game when we're both here? This is insane. But my thoughts afterwards were, holy crap, that was awesome. Yeah. I was, I was sweating playing the game. Yeah. I mean, I was like, oh my God, it was so good. And here's what I'll say. Yes, the setup, Chad, is, is, is tough. But the one thing that I don't like about most solo games, not that I play very many solo games, but the ones that I have, it's very clunky. It's very like, and I'm not going to get too much into Cooper Island, but Cooper Island, is it's, it's very clunky. It's very like you have to keep looking and figuring it out. Where Maracaibo is so simple. It's put a card down, ship moves that many spots, it does a certain thing, boom, it's back to your turn. And it's very, very smooth, just like the whole game is. And I found myself very much enjoying the puzzle of how could I be? I lost to the AI the first time I played. Yep. And I was like, are you kidding me? How did I lose to the AI? You know, I mean, that's, I shouldn't lose to an AI. I, I feel like I know this game really well. But the thing was, is the AI went so much faster than what, you know, normal players do. It made me change my strategy. So of course, after I played it solo that first time, I had to go back and do it again and yeah, I've gone back and done it a couple more times since then because it's just so much fun and it's so easy for me to play. I can get done in half an hour, 45 minutes, you know, type of thing. It's just very smooth and easy. Did that inform the way that you play multiplayer? No, because I think it's it's different. Players want to do more, I think. But it made me like if all of a sudden I was playing somebody else in a two-player game that was just ultra fast, you know, you know where you could, you know, move through that strategy and, and, and redo your strategy. This game is very, very player driven, including yeah. playing the AI. It's what is the other opponent doing and what you need to do to obviously uh, combat that, uh, that strategy. Yeah. I would actually just let your listeners know. I mean, this solo mode is not a throwaway mode. I know a lot of times we see that on board games where it'll say one to four players and you're thinking, well, I'll never play this solo. Um, and to be fair, I will never seek out a solo over a multiplayer game. I always prefer multiplayer, but the very first time I did solo, it was around 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. I was home for the night. Kids were in bed. I just thought, you know what? I'm going to pull this out and play solo. And I think that there is that growing market where people want to play the game and they're tired of playing, oh, I got a high score. And this, to me, recreates the feel of the game. I said it already. I just, if you have any consideration for playing this solo absolutely jump into it not only that but we haven't really talked about it this this episode but this game allows for campaigns so you can play through a whole campaign and the story changes as you go so what when, there's a campaign in this game that's right <laughs> so you know it makes clef look like charles dickens we said you know he gets so into the theme of this game and uh, the the you know you can keep playing through the story and it changes the game in very little ways but interesting ways on the board. I now have played this game solo, which I don't do, and now I'm going to talk about a campaign in this game. Wow! 
Who are you? I, I don't know who I am. I don't know. When we talked about certain other legacy games in the past, one of the problems with it was the gameplay is not the primary focus strong enough yeah. right it's not strong enough it's 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 worrying too much about the legacy aspect of the game where alexander fister just i mean this man is just amazing his brain is just i mean how he did so perfect with this game and believe me if you want to still say i don't care about the campaign and you never ever play it you're still going to get one of the best games ever made but I'm going to tell you right now, people, this is coming from me who doesn't, you know, I would never usually say anything to do with this, but the campaign in this game is amazing because the story is is whatever, you know, I mean, you can put into it what you want out of it and you can leave it. I mean, it's it's not the greatest story in the world, but the what it does is every game, it's going to add some different tiles to the board that don't significantly make the game like it's all, all of a sudden like, oh my God, there went my whole strategy because of this. But it just adds just minor little things every single game. And those things are optional. Yeah. That's what's great is they could be in there and you could just say, I'm not even going to focus on it. It's not working for my strategy. Exactly. Yeah. It might just be all of a sudden, uh, you know, a village needs you to bring people there and now it turns into a city the next round or something. It's just small little things like that that just make the game flow along. But yet we will rush out to some of those campaign quests just to see what happens in the story just for fun sometimes. Oh, I, I've, I don't think I've hardly ever missed one. <laughs> well, and I think too, and we'll cover on this when we talk about theme, but um, I think that it is when I want theme in a game, specifically a board game, uh, I want text. I want backstory. I want you know information. I don't really get theme from mechanisms or from art or stuff like that. So this game, even though it's just a little blurb, it's like a, a you know a thirty second little paragraph that you're reading. It for that half second, I am actually thinking, what do I want my character to do? Now, as Clef said, you're putting into it what you want. But I mean, just the fact that you're thinking you have these decisions you have to make. Do I want to go option A and fight pirates or do I want to go option B and not fight pirates? And the decisions that you make will affect the board in some capacity. And the fact that they are so intertwined in that way and that you're able to directly, uh, directly change how the setup of the board happens, to me, bumps this game into the upper echelons. It makes this game infinite replayable and if you don't even want to play the legacy or the campaign aspect they have these easy medium and difficult cards there's only three of them but if you choose the hard aspect it will just tell you to grab the very specific legacy tiles and place them on the board to get the feel of it but if you have the opportunity to play the game even more than twice i highly recommend you go through the campaign i love that you can have people come in and out. It is not necessarily important that someone knows what happened previously in the story. You, In fact, you could just start on a random chapter in the middle, and it will tell you exactly how to set it up where you are. And I, I Richie, I'm not sure if I taught you to start with with the campaign or if we just played. No, the base. we played the base game okay. first, but then after that, every okay. game we played was the campaign. Okay, and I, I, Chad, I taught you with the campaign. Started right off with it. It doesn't do that much that makes it not worth it and it just adds those little bit of touches in and i think for people who theme and immerse you know themselves into the play i think it, it i think it even helps out a little bit more at least it gives you a little bit of a you know i mean maybe richie this is more of a your question because it's a little bit more your world 
but I, I don't know. Does that does it make it feel more thematic to you? No, no, I mean for me, no. And it's just because, and this this could be because I'm also going through Clank Legacy right now, and that story has been really good so far. Whereas in this, it feels like a Hallmark movie, like that type of level of writing. And I would almost prefer if they just had more cards, like Dan was talking about, where you have the easy medium, like they just had more of those, throw all your cards into the deck, and then you flip out one of those cards and you place out tiles. Is it, that, a ha- is it a Hallmark movie that's around Christmas, or is it a Hallmark movie just with pirates? Yeah, with pirates and like Aunt <laughs> Becky, I can't remember her actual name, but... Uh, yeah, Aunt yeah, Becky. Yeah, Aunt Becky. Kitsopolis, I believe is her name. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> but I would almost prefer that, just just a change at the very beginning because there there are times where we have to stop gameplay and Clef starts reading the story and I'm just like what just fire on the on the doctor in the boat I don't care I hope he dies <laughs> whoa, whoa, spoiler, spoiler alert spoiler, spoiler alert come I on said, I hope he dies that's all I didn't say what happens to the doctor <laughs> we don't even know there's a doctor yet what's going on here Richie <laughs> now that we've completely gotten into it though I will say and and everybody's gonna roll their eyes for a minute around the table and that's fine but I will say that. I was excited about Black Blackout Hong Kong and the theme. I know it didn't do it for Richie with the spoiled water, but overall the theme was something different, more interesting. I feel like Mark Haibo sort of went back to Mombasa and colonialism a little bit, and I felt like you could go somewhere else with this theme. I felt like it could be in outer space if you're doing if you're doing stories. If you're doing stories about campaigns, you could make a whole story about outer space. I mean, look at what now his mechanisms are not for me, but look at what Ryan Lockett does. You know, you could create that whole story around. So I was kind of disappointed with the overall theme in this game. That was probably one of the small falling down points for me personally, as far as theme goes. When it comes right down to it, though, the campaign to me doesn't do anything for theme for for me. Now, granted, that's I'm not that's not a big thing in the game. Anyways, like I said, the part that I like about the campaign is how the game can change game to game with those different legacy tiles. And I I don't think I would like it if I just randomly threw those tiles out there. I like how there's a little bit of a story that goes along with it of why those tiles are there, and then I'm. I'm a little bit intrigued about what's going to happen. I mean, you know, I'm not. I think the big thing is that the mechanisms drive the gameplay. The story sure. doesn't drive it. The thematic, you know, in you know, getting into the story doesn't really drive it. In fact, I was reading this in the rule book. Alexander Pfister wrote this small comment. I don't know if you guys ever caught this. I'm just going to read it real quick. So it says here, a comment from the author and publisher. We would like to remind all players here that the power consolidating efforts and greed of the European powers resulted in terrible costs to the people of the Caribbean during the period that this game is set in. Unfortunately, mistreating indigenous peoples, the slave trade, and other horrors were the order of the day. In this game, we are entering the world in a, quote, abstract way, using only certain aspects and history, and therefore end up with a romanticized and narrow view. Everyone should remember that life for most people was anything but glorious back then. Rather, it was often rife with oppression and inequality. So that entirely proves my point, actually, of Mombasa, because Mombasa did the same thing. And if you already know that, you don't need to go back to that setting then. You could go to an easily different setting and not have to, quote, explain yourself, end quote. You know, so I I feel like if you're creating a whole different narrative and a different setting, you could do that in space. You could do that in another land. Like I said, just like Ryan Lockett does and have have lots of women characters, have lots of different races, all that kind of stuff. 
I, yeah, and obviously this is a huge debate, but I'm always in the camp of I prefer setting over theme. I enjoy having the idea of this of the game. What do we always do when we teach somebody a new game? We tell them what the theme is. We tell them what we're doing. Why do we do that? Well, because it helps teach the game. It makes the mechanisms make sense. Why am I moving this piece around this area here that appears to be bluish color? Oh, it's a boat and I'm moving it on water. So you need that thematic connect to make some of the mechanisms, you know, understood better in your head. That doesn't necessarily mean mean that you have to have that specific theme, but I think that it helps, especially with some people who maybe have disconnect with how the game plays. It really is supposed to bridge the gap between how to play the game and the theme. That's to me what theme is all about. Sure. And I could see that. Like you could say a map of the star system and say this, this, you know, moves here to this flies here to here. And that person could say, oh, there's a person that looks like me. Okay. I get that. Now I'm uh, I'm personalizing that, yeah. you know, and 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 I'm understanding the mechanisms a little bit more. I mean, honestly, I think they they keep doing it just because when you look at that box, you know that that's a euro and it's going to draw that audience. And whereas if you have that outer space theme, you have those other themes, someone's going to have to point some people towards that, which look, I like the theme of Blackout Hong Kong. I think they they botched it as far as the story goes. Right. But I would like that direction more as far as just just something different. Different. Yeah, yes. exactly. But let me ask you guys, when you are at the game shop and you're looking for new games, are you perusing the themes of the game? Is that the number one category? Are you looking at the designer? Are you looking at the mechanisms? Are you looking at the publisher? I mean, to me, the theme is there to draw you in and then that's it. It's superfluous after that. But you guys are talking like the theme maybe was a deterrent in this game or at least a ding against it. Yeah, but why can't we have both? Well, I, I suppose you could. I just think that a lot of times people, they will say, oh, the game wasn't that thematic. So I don't know if I can rate it that highly when really every board game is abstract. Right. None of us right. none yeah. of us are playing a real thing, but we need some sort of integration between what are we doing and how do the mechanisms work? Oh, here's a theme that I can explain it better for you. And my point is Fister is less than than most. You know, his me its mechanisms first kind of compiled into this thing, which actually I'd like to sort of segue into a lot of people would say, "Hey, I in fact I've seen a lot of people on the internet say, eh, Maracaibo, it's Fister's greatest hits." I'm not interested. How would you guys respond to that? I, I have seen that in various places. It's 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 uh, uh, Great Western Trail and it's Mombasa mechanisms thrown together in one box. I've seen it. I'm not interested in it. I mean, my personal opinion, that's that's ridiculous. What is every game that is out there pretty much? I mean, it's somebody putting together mechanisms in a different way to make a, a new new board game I right mean, improve what upon I mean, what has been done right, before I mean, you that's everything that is ever created right. in the world very it's a lot rarely, of Uva rosenberg games yeah. well yes exactly very rarely do you have a dominion that comes out that's absolutely game breaking that's very very far and few between so to me i mean i love mumbasa and yes i mean there is a little bit of a feel i mean a little bit of a feel of mumbasa and yes there is definitely some great western trail of feeling of this game but it still is its own game to me and I still love the ways that the game is different enough that I don't feel like I'm playing Great Western Trail and I don't feel like I'm playing Mombasa. I mean, I can see people who are not big Europe fans and just think that they're all just a bunch of mechanisms. Sure, absolutely. 
But I think pretty much, I mean, at least from everything I've heard, most people are really enjoy this game. So I don't think that most people are looking at it that way. At least no. I hope not. Well, and I mean, like we already said, it, it is. I mean, that's almost every designer, even even if it's not a Euro designer. I mean, Eric Lang, you can you can sit down and play his games. You can see what he's taken from his other sure. games to get to this point. And I mean, that's they they're usually improving. Uh, if they're not improving, you know, then it may not be as interesting of a game, of course, if it's too similar to one of their older games. But I, I don't see anything wrong with that, especially in board games, because everyone does it. OK, well, I, I feel like I could go on and talk strategy in this game. for two. <laughs> Maybe we should have a separate podcast, Dan, where me and you talk strategy of Mari Kaibo. All right. So let's rate this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right, Chad, I am going to start with you. Tell us your overall feelings. And well, before I start with you, I'm going to have Richie give everybody what the Punchboard Paradise rating scale is. All right. So we rate on a six point scale uh, with a one being a game that makes you miserable and a six being in your top 10 of all time. I mean, honestly, we should probably just start with you and Dan and then go to Chad and then myself, since I'm the only one that did not have it in my top 50 and has not alluded to his rating yet. All right, I'll start. I'm going to rate this a six, obviously. obviously. This is my number one game. Other breaking news, the sky is blue. <laughs> <laughs> this is my number one game of all time. And the reasons, you know, and I obviously would have talked about this in the last episode, but I love the, I, mean, I love all the mechanisms. I mean, I love Fister type of games. I really enjoy the puzzle that has been brought in this game. Every single game feels new and different to me. I love it at all player counts. I love, uh, you know, I love the solo version. Uh, well, let's not go with love. I enjoy, I'll play the solo version, which is a, a step above most games. And then this campaign that to me just brings this game even that much more above other games where it just adds that little bit every game that is it's just a little bit different i wouldn't even need that and this would still be a six i mean i'm pretty sure this was a six before we even ever busted out the campaign but that just makes it that much more if you like great western trail and if you like Mombasa, and I'll even say if you like, uh, you know, terraforming Mars because you get a feel of the the engine building with the cards. This is what I compare all those game this game to, and it just it just puts it all together. And it just for me, I mean, this is a game that I will play for a very very long time, and I don't care how much I play it. Somebody could come right now and say, "Can we put this on the table?" And I'm putting it on the table. I mean, it's on the table right now. No, it's not. We had to move it for Great Western Trail, but it was on the tail <laughs> earlier. So, all right. Anyways, Dan, over to you. One of the things that I weigh very heavily in games that I love is variability and replayability. I know that those kind of go hand in hand. Uh, I view variability in that ways you can modify the game in setup. Things that you can do to change how the game will play from the onset. Replayability is perfecting a strategy, trying different methods, going different paths, trying to see different ways to win. And games that have both of those aspects to me are top tier. Those are games that I continually want to bring back to the table because it feels fresh, because I can try new strategies. And this is a game that meets both of those criteria to the nth degree. 
Uh, I love the fact that you don't see every single card every game. We didn't even really talk about that, but there's like 200 cards in the game. You don't even see all the cards. So certain strategies may not be prevalent because of certain ways that the game was set up. Uh, you have the actual city tiles. Those are changed up where they're going to go. You have the different quests. Those are going to change up everything. You have the different uh, career cards. All this pre-game setup leads into a different type of game. And then you play the game and how you want to go about it. Yes, there are maybe two or three different strategies. You're going to go influence. You're going to go explore. You're going to go you know, rushing the game. There's the, only a few different strategies you can do, but how you implement them and the way it comes out to me is where I get those endorphin feelings where I feel like this is the type of game that makes me happy. I have these simple decisions and how am I going to lay them out and start a path? And once I play that first card, I get that path going and I get that feeling going and the game mounts and it gets more and more exciting and more exciting. This is the type of game where I can play it over and over and I can't do that with a lot of games. I could play it back to back and we have done that. And it's just blown me away. So this is absolutely a six. The legacy slash campaign aspect uh, just blows it out of the water. I think that this is one of the most amazing games I've ever played. Clef certainly has a much more storied experience with games. But in my experience, this is a game that I want to have for as long as I can. It is a Euro game. Uh, and it is a game that I think a lot of people will not like because there are heavy Euro elements. But as Clef alluded to, if you have uh, any sort of enjoyment in Fister games or those complex Euro games uh, where the theme maybe isn't as prevalent, but the strategy is overwhelming, this is your game. For me, Maracaibo is a six absolute collection essential. Chad, you're up. I very much enjoy this game. I struggle where to put it. I did put it in my top 50. As I have said earlier, the multi-use cards are a point in its favor for me. Also, the the upgrading of the ship, which feels like a personalization, it makes it more interesting to me as well. I am getting more and more into interactive games, as Richie likes to remind me. But I will say this Fister does a little bit more of an interactive Euro game than some other Euro designers, and that is a point in its favor for me. Again, as Clef had mentioned, yes, you can go heavy into one strategy, but you also have to pay attention to what other people are doing. You have to either combat that or notice that and and factor it into your play. I will say, again, like I said, the theme is you know a little bit of a ding for me, but not much. It falls somewhere in between a four and a five. And ultimately, because I haven't had a lot of plays of this, I'm going to bump it up to a five because I can see it improving over time for me. As Dan said, there's a lot of variability there. There's a lot of replayability. I can show this to a lot of people. Once you get over some of the initial iconography, it's not too hard to teach. So like I said, I'm going to give it a five. It's uh, it's a five for me, and we'll see if at a year it stays that way, but I would anticipate it being so. All right, Mr. Ritchie, round us out. Alexander Fister is definitely one of my favorite designer, and Blackout Hong Kong, I wish it was a disappointment. Uh, this is just back to his perfect form almost, and now I'm not I'm not in this as much in love of, with this as uh, Clef and Dan. I, I would be interested a year from now to see if it's still your number one. I would say that this is his third best game. That's saying a lot, though, because I would say that Mombasa and then Great Western Trail, then this. Uh, this was 55 on my, well, I, I did my whole top 100, but so this was just outside of that 
top 50. And it, it is a game that I think over time will continue to climb. It would be interesting to see if anything gets added to the game as well. I like the interaction in Great Western Trail and Mombasa a little bit better. That's, that's what bumps those two games up for me. But this is a solid five. I already have an insert for it. I already have the little mini expansion for it. I just got to get the game <laughs> if I can catch it when it's in stock. Oh, hold on. So you have the insert yeah. and an expansion, mm-hmm. but you don't have the game yet. Nope. Yeah, that, I think you should be changing your rating right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it is a strong five. Like I said, third best Fister game, and that's saying a lot right there. All right. Well, that's a six and a six from Dan and Clef and a five and a five from Richie and Chad. Pretty strong rating. You know what? I want to say thanks to Dan Smith from Across the Board Podcast for horning in on our podcast. We really appreciate having you here. You know, this was a fun episode. I was glad I got to be part of it. It was a little bit longer. Actually, playing this game, I feel like I I got a little scurvy. Well, you know what? I think (laughs) we actually have some peaches in the fridge for you. What? (laughs) I don't even think peaches uh, are really known for vitamin C. Oh, really? Peaches, oranges. I could eat them for hours. Okay. See? There you go. Thanks, Dan. Dan, we really appreciate you being on, buddy. (laughs) Thanks, guys. We'll see you. of business to attend to and we've been asked by quite a few of the punch punch if there is a way that they can support the show which is just absolutely amazing that there are people out there that would like to help support the show now we've been doing this now for it's basically now been two years that we've been doing this and and i'm sure a lot of people don't realize i mean it does take a lot of time for us to do and it takes away from our families and certainly takes away from gameplay sometimes and we do have fees that are involved for putting out the podcast onto the various forms and stuff like that so we are going to start a, a patreon so that you know the punch bunch you guys can support us if you want to Uh, We're going to have some really cool rewards that will come along with some of that support, you know, including, you know, T-shirts, which a lot of people ask for and, you know, just some other really cool things. Uh, So by the time you hear this episode, we'll have that up and running and you can go check it out. But I really think that the three of us want to emphasize 100 percent. This is by no means, you know, anything's going to change. We are just simply doing this for people that would like to support us to help so- offset some of the costs. Uh, you know, we need to get some, you know, we would like to upgrade some equipment too, but there is no need to do this if you don't want to. We're still going to give you the same great show and we still will appreciate everybody who just listens to us. This is just, hey, if you want to help support us and you find some of the rewards cool, Please come and, you know, and help, you know, improve the show is really what we're what we're looking to do. It's going to be a lot of fun. Nothing is going to change as far as the show goes. You're still going to get the normal amount of shows. Nothing's going to change like that. This is just strictly just uh, if you are able to help us out and you want to help us out, help improve the show. This is an option for you. It expedites us getting some recording equipment, us getting much better guests than Dan Smith, you know, things like that. <laughs> That's a must. So, that yeah, we definitely I mean, need. Yeah, yeah. With that being said, Punch Punch, if you have questions for us, you can always contact us at punchboardparadise at gmail.com. If you want to get on the guild, you know that we're at guild3227 on Board Game Geek. And then if you want to join our Slack channel, just shoot us an email at that same email address. We'd love to have you. We're getting some great traction on there and great discussions every day. Thank you so much for your support. All right, everybody. Have a good night. Thanks for listening. 
Punchboard Paradise would like to thank our loyal listeners as well as the publishers and designers that have provided review copies. You can find us at punchboardparadise at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at Punchboarders. We are on Instagram at Punchboard Paradise and Facebook at Punchboard Paradise. It has just the right amount of scalability. Um, no. <laughs> Scaling, yeah, right. say it, say it. Yeah. Scalability is fine. He's made up worse words than that. Yes, okay. <laughs> Bitch. We're never releasing the unedited version. <laughs> <laughs> it's now two hundred and fifty dollars a month. <laughs> Just for that one episode. <laughs> yeah, you get one episode. <laughs>